It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. And joining me is I have two wonderful guests that uh, we'll be bringing into the show here in just a minute. You know, as we've kind of explained many times, I always try to find a different way to explain this, but essentially, you know, I get the privilege of meeting some of these really cool people, coming across their, maybe their LinkedIn profiles or meeting them at a show, whatever it may be, and I want to get to know more about them. I want to ask them you know, some, some really important questions to try to learn from them. And so instead of me being the only one who gets that chance, I decided to take this idea and put it here on the, on the radio and allow everyone to listen in on our conversation and uh, hopefully learn something from that. And then we thought, well, if I get to ask questions, then why don't you get to ask questions? So we've also, we also take live questions. So if you want to do that right now, if you happen to be listening live or even if it's after the fact, I'm sure uh, we'll be happy to, to, to answer the questions, even you know, keep the conversation going on Twitter. You can pop that question in. Make sure you do the at PeopleG2. That will definitely make sure we get the question. If, and if you can't fit that, at least the hashtag Talent Talk will keep an eye out for that. And we uh, like to talk there. So we have uh, this show shows up here just about every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, unless we run a best of or, you know, Christmas falls on a Tuesday or something, but um, we've amassed a huge following through iTunes and iHeart. Really appreciate everyone coming in. Over 375,000 of you listened to a show last week. Big thank you to everyone who's uh, tuning in, sharing with your network, uh, sending us your feedback and questions. It's greatly appreciated. Um, as I mentioned, if you have a guest, I have a question for my guest, don't forget to send it over. Uh, my producer, Mike, is diligently watching that right now and also live tweeting this as we go along. My, my two guests today will be uh, Crispin Manners, uh, the chairman and managing director at the Employee Engagement Alliance. And then we'll have uh, Diane Spiegel, author um, and leadership development consultant. Diane will uh, join me in the second half of the show. Um, but let's go ahead and get to my first guest all the way from the UK. Of course, he's not. He didn't fly in here for that, but he's calling in all the way from the UK. Uh, Crispin Manners, welcome. Hi, Chris. Hi, everyone. Pleasure to be here. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, uh, maybe what you're currently doing in in the area of consulting, and of course, uh, a topic that comes up here every Tuesday uh, around employee engagement. So what, what are you doing in that world? Well, quick potted history. I've been running communications consultancies for over 25 years. Um, during that time, I've advised clients from startups to global giants in a whole variety of industries. Uh, along the way, I was elected as the chairman of the UK Public Relations Consultants Association for a two-year period. Uh, I'm currently on the global board of the Worldcom PR Group and um, perhaps in, more connected to 
the real world, I'm a trustee of the UK's first hospice, uh, which was founded over a century ago. As you've already mentioned, I'm a chairman of the Employee Engagement Alliance and CEO of Onva Consulting. And Onva specialises in in helping organisations to develop engaged and energised employees. Um, in that regard, I do a lot of work around helping companies listen to their employees in various different ways and uh, develop ways to engage them effectively. This includes developing smarter ways to recruit um, by matching roles to behavioural preferences, which therefore gives employees a greater chance of succeeding on arrival. I've developed training for first-time managers, uh, mostly so they can fulfil their role as a line manager something uh, I'm quite passionate about and uh, may touch on later. So, so you mentioned this word passion, and it certainly comes through um, with everything that you're doing, uh, sort of the, the path that your career has taken so far. So maybe we should start with the obvious, and then what is it that made you realize this was really an area that was you know, so important for you from a passion standpoint, and also important for companies to really focus on um, that's really caused you to really commit this you know, good portion of your career towards? It's an interesting one. I, I guess there are three three main reasons for that. When I was busy building my own business, um, we went through a period of about a decade where we, we grew at 30% compound. And I suppose that that really showed me what energized and engaged employees could do. In fact, how they could move mountains without without huge levels of direction. It was just a, a common desire to, to achieve the same things. Secondly, through my work as a, with a number of my clients, I spotted reasonably early on that leaders were doing a lot of communicating to employees, but they weren't really listening to them. More importantly, when they did listen through annual surveys and the like, they didn't really act on their feedback or involve them in improving the business. And I thought that was a, a real lost opportunity. Uh, and finally, I suppose it is, um, it is on a more personal note, and I'm going to m- mention the passionate word again, but <laughs> um, I, I really love seeing people grow in confidence and capability uh, and the difference that that can make to them and, and to the organisations that they work in. Uh, and I really wanted to be part of an organisation that would, that would, embrace that ethos and really encourage others uh, to treat employees as their finest asset. And it's an interesting um, kind of maybe characteristic that you bring up about really wanting to see other people kind of grow and succeed and uh, kind of put that under the same umbrellas that you, someone who's a coach might might feel that way. Someone who's in a mentor position, someone who's uh, maybe a business coach as opposed to a sports coach. But you're in this, that type of person really wants to get in there, help that person see what they can do, maybe figure out what their capabilities are, their characteristics are, and help them grow in a very specific way. Um, but, you know, and, and to do that over and over again, that, that's not everybody's cup of tea. I mean, that's not everyone wants to do that. Um, but, I mean, the right people, um, that, that's fascinating. It's something I've, I've enjoyed uh, doing in different roles. But it sounds like you're that kind of person that likes to really figure out uh, whether it's a group of people or someone at an individual level and how you can help them become their best. Would, would that be an accurate statement? Yeah, I mean, I think your point about individuals and groups is 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 really important as i say i'm i'm uh, a trustee uh which is a fancy name for a an unpaid director uh, <laughs> of, of 
of, um, of a fabulous hospice which has been making an amazing difference to people over, for over a century. And as you can imagine, working in a hospice is a pretty, pretty stressful environment. And one of the things that I did when I first joined was actually to set up a process where staff could feel more involved and could contribute ideas without necessarily always feeling that that meant they then had to commit loads of extra time because um, believe me these people work incredibly hard and, and, and the stress of caring for people who are in their final few days and, and, and looking after their to their families um, while that's happening is, um, is obviously a pretty tough thing very rewarding but pretty tough and finding a way of making people feel involved and engaged so that they they really understood that what they did made a difference i think is 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 a thing that i found uh, unbelievably rewarding well and you you bring up a really interesting um sort of dilemma for people that and I'll, I'll use a, a personal example here. My, my wife and I have literally, you know, done a blood pact and sworn ourselves that we're going to go to this next, you know, PTA meeting, soccer meeting, whatever it may be, and keep our mouths shut. We're just not going to say <laughs> anything because the moment we do, suddenly we're in charge. Um, and we're like, we just can't do another thing. We can't take on another thing. And it's like, you know, we're duct taping each other's mouths shut because we go well you know if you just did it this fundraiser this way we've seen and suddenly you know we'd be in charge so that's a really important thing uh for probably even for your your more engaged employees or your hardest working employees that they may have some great ideas but they need that freedom to know they're not going to be the ones who then have to go make it happen or have to be in charge uh, of that they may not have that capacity to do any more work but that doesn't mean the good idea shouldn't shouldn't kind of come to the surface. So, h- how do you do that? Was there something specific you did to help help that organization do that? Well, I think from my perspective, you've already said it. Um, people that work at the sharp end with customers or suppliers, or whatever, um, who 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 run relationships and processes, there is that know how these things work, and um, the idea they bring forward might not be transformational. They, they might be a they might be a very small improvement, but the sense reward that people get by knowing that the idea, if it's implemented, has made a difference um, to the organisation or to their customers or whatever, is is um, unbelievably rewarding. And so, I think the first and most important thing to do is to recognise that your employees are probably going to be productive source of of ideas to help you improve i mean one example i guess uh from my perspective is um and uh, people listening may well have heard this before but you know eight ten twelve years ago the um british olympic cycling team was probably the most useless in the world uh never won a medal in their lives sort of thing um, and the guy that came in to take over the management of the team and the development of the people said, I'm not going to come in and bring any new smart wizzo ideas. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to improve everything we do by 1%. And, you know, at the last Olympics in 2012, the Great Britain team won almost every gold medal that was up for grabs. Um, and they repeated the um, the feat again in Rio just now. 
And, and that's really because everyone in the team bought into the ethos that if we make everything 1% better, um, we can be world beaters. Well, yeah. And I think uh, we were probably at the same event, Chris, when Sanofi Pasteur um, made a, a presentation about how they had transformed their vaccine um, delivery process, yeah. manuf- manufacturing and delivery process, simply because they went to the people who did these things day in, day out, and said, give us uh, your ideas, no matter how small, and, and delivering several million more to the people who need the most, simply because they implemented uh, th- those ideas. Um, so it's, it's, it's really making employees believe that management wants to listen um one of one of the really impactful things i think about the uh sanofi presentation was that one of the advocate employees for the process said the first time he went to one of his uh friends to explain what the company wanted to do the guy knocked 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 it back in his face and said well they haven't listened to me for 20 years so why will they start now um, and I think that's, that's a great learning for pretty much every organization out there. If you're not listening, then employ- employees will give up trying to give you the benefit of, of their experience and wisdom. Um, so finding a way to start doing that in a really simple way that doesn't have to cost loads of money, um, I think would, it would, be, would be a transformational step for many companies. So, so we start with that idea of, the, of companies being, you know, great listeners. And um, certainly that example you gave when we were at that conference together, that was an amazing story. And, uh, you know, there's, there's some, some really great lessons from there. There's probably also some, uh, I, I even have my own little small critique of that as well. But, um, you know, so maybe if we start the easy stuff here, um, which is, so listening is a great one to start with. What what else, what are the other sort of, you know, elements for success that a business might look at if they want employee engagement to be strong in their companies? Um, well, I think the, 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 fir- the starting point, uh, I guess, is employee engagement only really works if the leaders of the business believe in it um, and believe that it's good for their business. So uh, I think there are a lot of a lot of companies have started down the, the path of employee engagement um, as almost something they have to do in, in, in this day and age to, to appear to be more touchy-feely, um, whereas the proof out there of the, of, of the really powerful uh, business value that can come back both, both to the organisation and to the individual, um, is, is something that that provides a very, very, very strong business case for doing it. But leaders have to believe in it, and, and they have to be role models for it, and they will never be a role model if they don't, don't believe in it. Um, so you, you could find that a, a lot of time, energy, and money could be spent trying to get something going that, that's never going to never going to really work because when the people look at um, the guys at the top they don't see them um, walking the talk if you like and and how do you think uh, this idea of purpose or really understanding what your company does yeah you know, how does that play because I kind of mentioned my own cr- the critique of Sanofi was that they had such a powerful purpose that you know the 
the improvements that they could make to their vaccines would have could save millions of lives. And so you could yep. you can really see what that s- small incremental change can do. Whereas the pencil company down the street, if they make their pencils a little more yellow or a little bit right, a little bit, I mean, what it, you know, the purpose maybe doesn't have quite the effect. It doesn't have quite the impact on people's lives as someone who's making a flu vaccine. So, you know, where does purpose play in all of this? Um, well, I, I I think bringing the purpose to life is um, is 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 essential, um, but it has to be. It it has to be um, grounded in the real world. Um, something that employees won't look at and say that's that's say cynically, if you like, that that's um, some flowery sounding puff that's been created by some marketing person to make it sound like we're important when all we when we know is all we make is pencils. Um, so uh, personally, I, I would I would get employees involved in contributing to what the purpose should be after all they're the people who deliver it so why shouldn't they have a a a part to play in in capturing it and and expressing it in language that everyone can understand equally i think sometimes uh, people need help to look at what they do with fresh eyes uh, to really understand the impact that a simple pencil can have in the hands of people uh, for whom that might be an amazing thing to have, you know, such as I guess um, uh, kids kids trying to learn in the uh, in the in, in the in the depths of uh, Africa, for example, having a pencil is an amazing thing. Whereas, of course, for a, for a kid in um, the the richest parts of rural Surrey in the UK, they probably never pick one up because they've got their uh, they've got their mobile phone and everything else by their side. So those are, those are the things I think about purpose. Get, get the employees involved in, in, in crafting it and really think about who uses them, who uses your products or services, and what difference do they make to the lives of the many that do. And, and then other, you know, so if we look at those sort of things you, you've talked about that are important, um, are there things that we also uh, should watch out for that maybe are pitfalls or are, uh, you know, things that, that companies may typically tend to go after but maybe are, are sort of short-sighted. Uh, do, do you see some of those things in your work as well? Yeah, I guess uh, in terms of engagement programs, sort of things I see is probably the reverse of, of what I would see as elements for success. You know, if you don't have leaders that believe in engagement, the program will fail. Um, might You know, sooner or later it will fail. Uh if you, if you don't involve employees, it will feel like engagement is something that's being done to them rather than with them, uh, and that really that really won't build an, a program that employees uh, feel motivated to take part in. I guess we've talked about proper listening and what that means. It's not just the annual survey. It, it's, it's a much deeper and richer experience than that. But other, other mistakes I, I've seen... Uh, for example, senior guys seem to feel that they need to feed employees a diet of positivity the whole time. So they'll have a town hall and they'll only talk about the good news. 
I often hear from employees that they, they can't believe that they get that because they know that certain things aren't, aren't working in the organization and they would much prefer that those were aired so they, they, weren't, they didn't walk away feeling patronized by the process. And I think the other, th- other mistake, I guess, that people make is if they start a program, they expect every employee to value it and engage with every initiative People, people will engage with stuff that means something to them as an individual, uh, and not every, not every part of an engagement program will. Uh, so I think that's, that's one of the issues that come from organizations which are KPI-driven, and, and you get this sense that the program can't possibly be working because not every, everyone is doing everything every time there's an opportunity to do so. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, we certainly noticed that people have a lot of energy around certain things, you know, so certain people will kind of really gravitate to this one thing that you're doing and you have another group. So we've just used some of the things you said. You may have a group that's really focused on being good listeners and making sure that, you know, people are being heard. You may have other groups that are really focusing on that passion and purpose. And so, but yeah, to your point, not everyone's going to do everything. Not everyone. It's, it's sort of like expecting all kids to get you know straight A's in in every subject. Or kid, there are some kids who are you know going to get A's, but most kids are really passionate about maybe certain subjects and less passionate about others. And of course, that changes over time. But yeah, you you have that inside of an organization where you have these. I kind of look at it as as extremes. You have people who are really into one thing and kind of ignoring a few other things. So. Uh, that's probably a pretty good uh, uh, lesson for us to think about as well as, you know, you, you've said it three or four times now, I think, leadership has to be on board with this with this coming in or it's really going to fail. One of the questions I want to make sure we ha- ask you here, we're almost out of time. Uh, it's one of our favorite questions to ask, and that is, uh, what are you reading right now, and can you tell us about that book? Well, actually, I've got two on the go, uh, given to me on my birthday recently. One is um, One is a book about a guy called Dan Carter. He's, he's pretty famous in any country which plays rugby and will be unknown in any country that doesn't, but um, he's probably the world's best number 10 in, 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 in a rugby team the, the world's ever seen, annoyingly from New Zealand. Um, so it didn't, <laughs> help the, didn't, didn't help the English much. The second one is a, is a book actually about how, how Britain prepared to defend themselves against um, what looked like an imminent invasion by the Nazis in the Second World War. Um, the reason I find it really interesting is it, is it doesn't really get into the, the whole Nazi story. It gets more into the way that the British government galvanised the population to perform almost as one to deliver productivity at work, to um, d- deliver amazing things, many of which... Um, have only reach, uh, come to the surface as, as government papers have, uh, have been released in the last few years. So it was, it, 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 in a funny way, although they obviously weren't employees, it was a, it was a really great example of how, uh, with the right purpose, people really, really bought into it and, and, and operated in a way that they hadn't before and probably haven't since. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you can really read about and watch and, and learn so much about that that era. I, in my own lifetime, I was witness to it when 9-11 happened on our soil, just the way people came together and worked together and acted together. Um, it, it's amazing with our current 
politics happening that we were ever of, of one mind for a moment in time, considering how far apart we seem now. But anyways, that's a topic for another radio show. But um, I'll uh, leave you with this. I want to know how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about your services or having you consult for them, especially if they're a listener over there in the UK or, or different places that you work. What's the best way for them to find out more? Um, love for people to be in touch. Probably, probably the simplest at this point is to use my email address, um, which is my name, crispin.manners at onva, O-N-V-A, dot co dot UK. Um, well, fantastic. Really hope, really hope people do. <laughs> I really appreciate you being on the show uh, and, and talking about this with us, and hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on everything you're doing. Love it. Thank, thanks very much, Chris, and thanks, everyone. All right, we'll be right back after this brief, com- brief commercial break, and our second guest uh, in studio, Diane Spiegel. <laughs> Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, you can go to talenttalkradio.com and listen to all our past episodes or iTunes or iHeart. Uh, there's lots of different ways. You have no excuse to go back and find another one that maybe you might enjoy. We've had a lot of great uh, guests on the show, and uh, we love hearing from everyone and uh, what your favorite show was or if you have a suggestion for a guest or maybe some questions that I should be asking that I haven't thought of yet. So, um, Up next, we're uh, glad to have uh, Diane Spiegel here in the studio. She's an author and a leadership development consultant here in Orange County, California, uh, where we've actually had a little bit of rain today. Despite last week it being like 108 degrees, I think it actually got cooled off and got some rain today. So for those of you in the rest of the world that think, why in the world would we say that? Well, it doesn't really, water falling from the sky at this point in our lives has not happened very often here in California. So it is newsworthy. Anyways, so uh, Diane, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. 
All right. So why don't you please share a little bit about yourself and what you're currently doing in the er uh, area of uh, leadership development? Sure. As an organizational architect, I work with organizations to help them bring that talent that is here today, really getting ready for all the tomorrows as our environments continue to change constantly. Leadership development has taken on kind of a new meaning in the the new world of work where we have to figure out how to meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. We have to understand the many, many differences that happen. We live in a a very cross-multicultural environment from age, which is part of what I write about, in addition to just people speaking other languages, having other styles and coming from lots of different places. In order to be successful, we have to figure out how to really develop the leaders for tomorrow in order to sustain and grow our businesses. Yeah, so maybe let's talk a little bit about a couple of the things that you've developed over the last several years, and this might kind of take us into a couple directions here. Uh, the first is your book, the, the Gen Y Handbook. Uh, maybe you can talk uh, about this book and maybe some of the important you know points that you're trying to make regarding engaging millennials in the workplace. Right. The millennials get a lot of attention. A lot is written about them, and very soon their um, younger brothers and sisters, Gen Z, will probably have the same um, experience. But part of this generation got really saddled up with that idea of entitlement, that Mm -hmm. they come to work expecting things to happen. And a part of it was the experience they've had growing up as our mostly baby boomer children, we we gave them trophies for showing up. We did things to encourage that sense of entitlement. We told them, you can be anything you want to be if you really want that bad enough. And I'm not so sure we did them 100% of a favor, being the parent of two millennials who are working hard to follow their passion in a very challenging work environment. So I feel that Understanding and having a better thought process around why this generation comes to work the way they do and what they expect um, is something that would be really helpful for managers and leaders to understand. So this really bad habit of hearing like something really important in the first part of an answer and then just waiting for you to finish because I thought of this one thing that you said. And what you said in the very beginning was you thought that this the next generation, the Gen Z, would coming into it, you thought that they might have a similar experience. And I wonder if we think about that a little bit deeper, will they have the same experience that this the millennials are having? Because the millennials do seem like this special group because not only are they this younger group, who, of course, we put all the labels on that we put on the last generations, right? They do things differently. They're not serious. I mean, all these things I think every generation puts yes. a couple down. But they have the technology thing, right? They have this whole new set of tools and things that they had to know and to do and to be good at that the couple generations up didn't have at all. Right. Right? That the gap was gigantic. Yes. So do, do you think that they're special not necessarily special like what you're talking about, like where they get a trophy, but special that they do have some unique differences that maybe other generations didn't have. Well, let me answer the question by sharing just a quick anecdote, which is not far from here, like across the street, mm-hmm. is our beloved South Coast Plaza, right. Premier Shopping. I was there not too long ago, and a little girl about four years old was running up behind me, and I was standing at the board looking at the directory. And this little four-year-old girl, I could see her mom, took her finger and was touching the directory. Right. And of course the director didn't move. I mean it was it was a static thing, but it hit me that this generation, this little Gen Z group, they have grown up with swipe technology. Right. So in terms of corporate America, are we ready for people who who do that? A lot of these kids hardly even use a laptop. It's all done on a touch and that whole process in terms of the integration of the technology where it is now, are we ready for them? A lot of organizations are not. 
this generation was born in um, tw- in 2000 and will mature at 2020. So in 2016, we're just um, starting to see them in work permits and doing internships, high school and college. But you raise a great point. I think the foundation probably has been developed by the millennials, but tomorrow we could have another kind of paradigm shift of technology, and then what? Right, like no headphones on our iPhone. See? I mean, that's just... This is blasphemy. But anyway, uh, that's another that's another conversation. <laughs> so I know the second part uh, that you're sort of working on, which is a newer development, is navigating the generations at work. So we have lots of generations in the workplace um, Four. I even heard some people try to say it's five. But we have a lot. Right. And and depending on how large your organization is, you may have all of those as, as well. So maybe share a little bit about this and, and you know, what you're you're hoping that uh, you know, companies can do and, and, and how you're kind of your product you know fits into that right thank you the product idea was that allowing organizations and companies and departments to be able to take on and look at these tools and resources the whole idea behind all of this is to be a conversation starter Mm -hmm. we aren't we aren't defined by our generation anymore that we're defined by are we male or female or you know however we identify or with any kind of ethnic group we are who we are so the more we understand about how what happened as we were growing up, those experiences. I heard you speak earlier to the speaker before about 9-11 and how defining, you know, because we just celebrated that anniversary, how defining that moment was. And so understanding those defining moments and the influences for people from multi-generations, that is part of what this product is about. To right. help companies say, you know, who are we? What happened? What does that mean? What's the impact? What is the impact to the way we show up? So one of the things that, for example, is a, is a key discussion point is that sense of paying your dues. Previous generations said you have to put in your time, you have to really mark the calendar, you have to really get good at this before I'm going to allow you to get that next or stretch assignment. Our young cohort here isn't going to wait around for that. Mm-hmm. And the market is shifting. The employment market is shifting now. So during the Great Recession, people were thrilled to have a job. But right. things are, are, are definitely shifting as things improve. And so top-tier talent, high-potential talent, especially young, millennial talent, they're just they're not going to wait around and say, are you going to promote me? Are you going to give me a bigger assignment? Am I going to have a stretch experience? They're not going to wait. They're going to go find it. You know, and a lot of the things we've been talking about at different conferences as well is what are some of the positives that millennials are bringing as well? So it, it's not only are they – you're right. You have to worry about that. But on the flip side – you can get millennials to really be attached to your company's purpose if you can really focus on that and articulate it, right? Yes. And they're probably going to be willing to put up with a lot more than maybe a different generation if they understand what that is and they're on board with what it is, right? So leaving people in the dark is probably not going to work anymore because people I've given this example a hundred times, but you know, when I was coming out of college, if someone said, go do this job, insert the worst job you can think of, but I'm going to give you $100,000. I go, yeah, I'll do it. Sure. I'll put them a few years, save save some money. I'm good. That is not the answer I get from from millennials. It has a lot to do with, and you you start to touch on that, is the why. Why do I need to do that? What's the purpose behind it? We've filled them up with, what is the purpose of your work? How does that connect to the values that you bring and the person that you are? They also talk a lot about work-life balance, and they they feel like they know how to do that in a way that other generations are still trying to figure out. They want to bring that to us. They want to also have their voices heard much sooner, and if you will, sit at the table and be a part of the conversation from from the very beginning. Right. And that's something, they have a lot to share. They have a lot to bring. Yeah, and you could make the argument that maybe they do need to put a little bit of time and learn learn some things before they they get that seat at the table. But you know, it's it's we want to make sure that we're 
we're giving them an opportunity. And so we're thinking about workplace in a different way for all the generations. And that will probably allow them to come in sooner. Yes, I agree. You know, and it's interesting. Uh, we have a lot of our different clients, how they're kind of handling this. <laughs> and some aren't handling it very well. Um, and so that kind of brings in some of the different tools and things that you're you're doing. Uh, this is radio, so we'll try our best. I, I see a circle that kind of moves around. I see a, a deck of cards things and a CD. Maybe talk about some of these different tools that you've brought in here today that can give people the visual in their heads. Sure, terrific. So the the leadership compass is designed to be sort of a manipulative, hands-on, kinesthetic experience right. where I could have that on my actual desktop. How screwed up are we? No. We have okay. to do, right, right, how screwed up are we? <laughs> so it provides a good background information. What is this generation? Who are they? What are their numbers? Right. What are some key okay. things? And that's intended to do that. There's also a small 52 deck of cards, which is one idea, one little micro learning you could take to engage this generation. Um, one Every, every week would give you a year's worth of new conversations to have. There's also a CD and some audio pieces where we've um, spoken to some experts who come and talk to us about their perspective about the future of work and how things have changed and some additional really large cards. I'm a big believer as a corporate educator and architect to say, how how do we do it? So we can intellectualize all we want. We can talk right. about generalities. and That's fabulous. Great cocktail conversation, right? But when people have to go and, and apply that and make that connection, that's where they sometimes need a little support. So all of these tools, in addition to information in the Gen Y handbook and in, in the actual book, tells you and shares with you stories and ways to start the conversation. So one of the things that we talk about is the whole tattooed thing. This is the most tattooed generation in history. Gen Xers and generations before have had tattoos, military tattoos. They had a different significance. Today, that significance is about purpose and value and meaning. We interviewed hundreds of people who had tattoos who were all very happy to talk about their experiences with that. And they're Mm -hmm. very, in many ways, they're very spiritual. So my advice is also for those tattoos that are visible, ask about them. What's the story behind that? What does it mean to you? And they'll be happy to share. Again, we're looking for ways to engage with each other. I know your speaker before me talked a lot about engagement. How do we connect? Because at the end of the day... We're not really so different. We want to have our voices heard. We want to feel like what we do matters and what we say has impact. Yeah, and I have found a lot of times it's that opportunity for someone to tell you what they think, to share what their concerns are, what their ideas are. That's as important, if not more important, than whether or not you actually end up using anything that they gave you or if it's really applicable to the situation. people, And that comes from everyone got their turn to give their presentation. We did these group projects. My wife's a teacher, so I see yes. all of the things that they do in the classroom. And I can just I can see what she's doing and how that relates to this the, the generation that's in, you know, the newest generation in the workplace. Um, and I also see it with, I have friends that have gone back to get their master's and they hit their heads up against the wall. Like I have to do a group project with six people who don't show up and I can't wrangle them. And it, I, my grade is going to be affected by what they do. And, you know, this is whole, totally different way of learning and, and having, um, information exchange, right? Instead of it being, we're all going to take a test. We're all going to learn the same thing. We're all not going to talk about it and we're going to digest it together. It's almost like we have six common stomachs digesting the same bit of knowledge here that comes in. 
so other 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 things that companies are are getting right about some of this right now that you're seeing? So I think that's a great example. So this generation of of Gen Ys did grow up in a very communal, collaborative environment. And you're mm-hmm. right that I love that six digestive systems. That's great. So that's a way for us to tap into saying how do we leverage that up? One of the things that's interesting about this is. In my work in corporate America, I work mostly with at the leadership level, but I recently signed up to continue um, teaching classes at UCI um, as adjunct faculty, and one of the, the classes that I'm teaching are graduate students in Human Resources International. So there I had my very own incubation of class, right, of millennials. And one of the things that surprised me, you know, I've written the book, if you will, about it, that surprised me, is that we were very clear about these are how grades are, are done, the moment I posted grades, 30 seconds go by and I get emails. Teacher, well, they call you professor because that's the, that's the cultural thing. Professor, why did I get A minus rather than A? Even though I had already said, there was no compunction, no hesitation to raise their hand and go, why? Ask, tell me what, explain yourself. Which is a right. big shift in terms of when you think about that behavior, it's a big shift. And that also is something we're dealing with in the corporate arena. Yeah, and asking why can come with some great advantages. I mean, that might get you to think about things, pushing the envelope, challenging, you know, preconceived conceptions, and they are great. But sometimes, <laughs> you know, it can be a big grind with a generation. Say, I gave you the rules of engagement. I told right. you ahead of time. Right. You know, and now you're asking me why. Well, go back and that's look right. what we did three months ago. We talked about that's this. Right. So. And that's about accountability and taking responsibility for mm-hmm. your behavior and doing what it is you have to do. So it's interesting because that influence my perspective so the class that's coming up next month we're actually going to you know together walk through this and highlight that i'm not going to make the assumption they actually read and understood that because i don't really want to have to feel that again but it was a wonderful experience for me as an educator to say oh this is the way that they think and they're not the least bit hesitant about excuse me can you fix this or change it right so how are other things that companies are doing uh or maybe sort of consistently failing at when it comes to this that you're seeing i think that one of the one of the the big misses that i see is the very beginning of employment so when they onboard people when they bring people into the company there's a high need to connect really quickly this is the facebook generation they understand they want to know and whether you're interested in what they had for breakfast or not doesn't really matter they want to be able to very easily reach out into the organization and connect with people who have hobbies like they do went to school where they did so our ability to make that experience mirror that social media part is really important it's a connectivity piece Mm -hmm. and that allows them to go and get knowledge on their own they're very good self-learners that way and i don't think we're leveraging that right right i mean you look at what we expect people to walk in the door with today as far as a kind of pre pre-done knowledge we as opposed to 15 15 years ago we expected you know if you don't know microsoft word that's okay we'll teach you now oh you don't know how to use all these 1500 different software platforms we'll go back and figure it out and let us know when you do so that the, the paradigm has really shifted and what we expect them to know is shifted and so they know very quickly they can learn things very quickly and yet if you hire them and you stick them in an organization where they can't learn things quickly and they can't find out what they need and, and get those things done, then you're just putting them in a level of frustration. Right? Correct. That's exactly correct. And so the curation process, how do we curate their learning experience where they can go and find and grab at their own speed, at their own pace, whichever or wherever they come from, on learning style, education or whatever. We need to offer that up in a way that they can move about quickly. They are very motivated to learn. They know how to do that. Um, how long does anybody go without looking at their phone before they go, oh, let me just look this up? Right. 
It's part. Of, it's part of, of the way we live. It's part of the way we communicate. And so, do you feel like the things that, that you're you've developed here, some of the tools in your book, is this is this going to help the generations a couple steps up? Is that what this is really targeted for to help them be better yes. with millennials? Okay. Yes, to better understand that really they aren't so different. But what is different is the world in which we work. If you just roll the clock back thirty years, just thirty years ago, the things that happen in business, the way in which business is conducted, has exponentially changed because of the technology. Mm-hmm. And the FaceTimes and the communication and our ability to do all the things that we do, share and send information, boom, boom, boom. That's pretty That's pretty impactful. And I don't think sometimes we give those millennials credit because this is what they know. They just bring to work what they know. Right. And we told them, you know, you, you can do anything you want to do. Off you go. And they go to hit corporate America. And people that are, are a little bit more mature, a little older, different generations are like, wait, you know, you haven't you haven't been here long enough. You can't tell me that. Just do as I tell you to do, right. which is very parental. And a lot of those kids didn't didn't hear that. We told them why at every turn. Yeah, I mean that was that's yeah, the command and control stuff. Just go and do it. And that's right. And and you know, there's a lot of studies that said parents who um, told their kids why those kids tend to be more social, more successful. And so I think parents picked up on that. And they yes. told their kids why, and they they wanted to be better parents than their parents were. But now they're showing up to work saying why, 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 why. why. And then the connectivity. So again, yeah. part of the the process at onboarding a new hire is really important to help them connect up with the why and how it matters because the bigger the sense of, of how it all connects together and what you do, if you don't do what you do over here, it affects the next person. They go, that makes sense. Okay. Bam. Off they go. Right. Right. And they can put all those things together, like you said. Yes. So, well, maybe what sort of things, um, you know, if we look at the current um, kind of structure, the current uh, job market, right? Mm-hmm. We have, we have a. It's really started to shift, and we don't have you know five hundred resumes for one job opening anymore. It's starting to go back to how it was. We're ready to hunt for people, but that really opens the door for more of the millennials, right? And yes. even then, pretty soon the next generation that they're going to be able to come into a job market where we're dying to to get people again. So. Are, are there some things that companies should be thinking about as it relates to that? If you're going to bring in these people, if you're in a desperate need, this is usually when companies get in the most trouble, yes. right? They're right. desperate to put somebody right. in this position and they throw them in there. Right. So what should they be thinking about from sort of the areas here, the, mm-hmm. the Venn diagram of where, where right. you cover? Terrific. Great question. So I would have them first look at what's the value proposition. Why would I want to come and work for your company? What does your company offer? Are the are the assignments are at a place where we rotate around? Is there a work-life balance? Do we telecommute? How do I really connect with other people? How do I make sure that um, I can find the resources and have what it is I need to do my job? Is my voice heard? Is my boss really listening? Um, are you keeping me informed about what's going on in the organization, how that impacts the greater marketplace? People want to be informed about that because it makes them feel engaged. It makes them feel like partners in the business. Right. Right. For sure. Well, uh, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests, and I think I think you even brought it with you, is what are you reading right now? And can you tell me about that book? Well, it's interesting. One of the things I'm actually rereading is Dr. Brene Brown's Rising Strong, and, and a project that I'm working on sort of guided me to sort of go back there. And she talks about lean, you know really leaning into discomfort. And that's a part of what I ask people in these workshops mm-hmm. to do. It is a little uncomfortable to imagine, well, you know, I'm right, and you know this is the way things were when I was born, and this was what happened when I went to work. Well, that's great. And we respect where you've been, but we have to really think about what happens when things change. And so leaning into that discomfort and that out of that comes a really strong lesson that she talks about, which is really failing forward. 
Mm-hmm. Organizations, and this is another another issue in terms of success factors, what can an organization do to really allow people to fail, if you will, but fail forward? Make a mistake on a small enough scale where it hasn't damaged my career or like you've given me the scarlet letter because I made a mistake, a reasonable right. mistake, a reasonable mistake, that I learn from, I share with the greater group and say, wow, here's what happened, but here's what we learned from it. And sharing all of that, change happens so quickly, it's hard to keep track of all of those things. And so I went back to her book and really got some great tips about that as um, I'm working on the current project. Yeah, uh, she's a she's really great, and she does a good mix of bringing the academic with the, the stories. And um, i just blanking on the other book that I read of hers that kind of dealt more with the shame. Right. Um, it was a great book. And, of course, I walked around handing it to people who I thought had issues with shame, which, of course, was shaming in itself, and then I had to rethink that. So, anyways, but it was a great book for anyone. If you can somehow find the right approach to give it to someone who you know has a hard time you know, dealing with mistakes or being called out on yes. their problems, it's really, really good. And part of what she talks about, which is the connectivity in terms of all the work that I do, which is how do we build those really strong business relationships? Mm-hmm. How do we connect with people and appreciate what they bring, appreciate what I bring so that we are just connecting together as on, on a level of humanity that's what i think people want right oh absolutely and just as a reminder we'll have uh, all of the books that our, our uh, guests today have mentioned on our blog recap on peopleg2.com in the blog section uh we don't usually have it there right away usually a few weeks later we have that up and, and ready to go and of course you can always listen to the show but we'll have all that information there and of course the the other really important piece of information which is how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in having you uh do some work for their company use your products uh, read your book what's the best way for them to to reach out Thank Thank you for letting me do take the, the little shameless plug, right? Shameless plug, Shameless yes. plug. The best way is probably www.sageleadershiptools.com or diane at sageleadershiptools.com. There's a place on the site for you to leave a message and lots of info that you can take away. Well, fantastic. Really appreciate you uh, being our guest here today, coming into the show. And I know it was sort of a, a last-minute uh, thing when and have, we had someone else who couldn't do it. And you magically just popped in right at that. It was like, it was Yay! perfect. You know, as one email went out saying, okay, another one came in, and there was, there was Diane ready to help. So really appreciate you coming in today. Thank you for having me. Uh, next week, I'm actually going to be out of town. We'll have a best of show, and then we'll kick back into it uh, the following week. But uh, hopefully you have gained something, some hopefully something that one of our guests today, or maybe I accidentally said something stupid and it was the right thing, and you learned something positive for your own career, and that's what we want. Uh, feel free to reach us to us on Twitter again. And until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.